0: This is a Wild Eve production podcast.
1: So this kind of came about because, Carl, you've been talking about this for the last little bit that I've known you, and, like, I see you post about it on your, uh, like, on Facebook, and I've seen you talk about it a little bit uh, on, like, various outlets and stuff like that, which is, it's running an open table. My most recent BX game, it's uh, it's done. It's over. And so I just kind of have to start again. Um, and what I was thinking about doing was running an open table at my local game store, doing like am I'm 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 thinking probably I'm gonna do keep on the Borderlands, um, but I don't know how to do this. I, I have no idea how to run an open table, so I kind of wanted to pick your brain about it.
0: Absolutely. Um. I I typically uh run a jump in jump out. Feel free to sit down. Open table game. Um, The last convention game I ran, I ended up with a table of 10 players. Oh, wow. Just because I was willing to take players where they didn't have anywhere else to go. So here are my suggestions for running an open table game. Mm -hmm. My first suggestion is make a sign. Make a easy-to-read sign you can put on the corner of the table that says, You are welcome to join this game at any point.
1: That's such a simple thing. I wouldn't even think to do that just, I mean, it makes sense because it's like, all right, well, yeah, like players welcome. um, But yeah, like the, the thing is that I don't understand is I guess like how to do it. Like it, I, I understand the concept of it, people coming in and dropping out, but like, I don't understand the execution. Like, so what happens if someone drops out? Like if they just have to go now, like how do you, how do you handle that? How do you handle one, I guess size, like if you are kind of short people or you're over people, like ten people's a. It, it's not that much for like a BX game, because BX I think is a little more um a little more suited to having bigger parties. You know, you don't have the like you don't have the concept of the four like spec op soldiers that you kinda get in modern D. Um, so like having ten dudes is totally fine. Whereas it wouldn't be as good in like fifth edition. I don't know. I guess like, how do you handle people coming in and and dropping out? Like, what are some tips that you have for that?
0: I would say the best way to approach that is to focus on the fact that it's a game before focusing on the fact that it's a narrative. Okay. I think ultimately your players won't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether or not it makes sense that the the Dwarf Warrior suddenly is no longer with you or not, um, whatever the solution was, I don't think your players will care that much. I play, uh, whenever I get a chance, in uh, DM Crafty's game. He's a DM that runs games in the area, and he actually has built into his campaign world this idea that people phase in and out. Like, there's kind of this constant... Teleportation filled sort of happening in his world, so he'll just say you you you'll teleport right in or teleport right out uh, whenever you're ready, and it, he just makes it a part of his world. I don't know that that's necessary. Um, it's it's a fine way to do it, and that way it's just an in-game description. That way nobody's freaked out by it. You don't even have to. You just shrug your shoulders and say, okay, well that teleportation thing happened. Let's keep moving. Mm-hmm. Typically, what I do is I just, if somebody joins the game, I fill them in, and we kind of just pretend
1: they've been there this whole time. Okay, yeah, that I guess that would be, like, the easiest thing to do. Uh, even in my home games, when someone's not there from one week to the next, like, say, over the course of three games, they miss the middle game, it's like, no, they were here the whole time. They were just, uh, you know, they... They were there. I, I don't do like a you know, perfect recap. And I think um, your point about treating it as a game rather than a narrative, that's probably like the best way to do it. I mean, like, that's been my, um, my philosophy going through D&D in recent years is I don't think people focus enough on the game portion of it. I think it's there's a lot of, there's too much focus on the narrative and it, I think it might end up bogging things down because at the end of the day, like, you know whether you roll a d20 to do something or a d6 like you're you're, you're playing a game so um, when you have people jumping in do you have them jump in and make a character or do you I, i'm guessing pre-mades would be the best like solution for that
0: i think unless you're going to simplify the system i think even bx as simple as it is is a, it's a little too complicated to roll characters and join in unless you have some level of assistance there Mm -hmm. where where maybe um a a co-dm or or another player is able to help people kind of pick out their characters um how um i do it is pre-gens i have um 3000 xp pre-gens which would be level one elves, level two um wizards dwarfs halflings fighters and level three clerics
1: and thieves okay I was, so, because I've been, I kind of figured pregens would be the way to go. That was more just, like, a dumb leading question. Um, What I was doing was rolling a D3 per character when I was creating, like, on my lunch at work, I was creating a bunch of pregens for this. Um, And, like, I was like, all right, well, I'll roll a D3. And so, like, you know, I've got, I don't have a ton of pregens built up yet. Uh, This was mostly going to be an experiment for, uh, at first, for a group of friends to build pregens. Um, but I did like each person got like a d3 level Ah, Um, but I think the 3000 xp I think that's a better idea
0: yeah I mean there's a huge amount of difference between a level 3 elf and a level 1 thief
1: yeah yeah and especially if you're um if you're picking if you're like if you've got a stack for people to pick from like yeah like a casting book or something like that um you know people are the first person who's there is gonna be like, Oh, I want the level three elf. Like this guy gets spells and swords. Well
0: what I, I what I typically do is I hand out three and let the players pick one. Okay. So instead of going I mean, I'll have twenty
1: I mean sometimes forty pre gens. I don't Yeah, that's, that was gonna be my follow up question is like how many pre gens do you bring when you're when you're doing this? And then I guess like uh how long do you normally run your jump in jump out game? Do you just go till the last person leaves or do you have like a set time frame uh, how do you sort of like uh, how do you set goal posts for accomplishing things within the adventure
0: now this is a kind of a, a one-shot trick you know that i do is i have a um i have movable goal posts that i'm kind of moving them towards so i make the goal Either it be something they're looking for or a person they're trying to uh, engage, whether in combat or possibly to rescue. Mm-hmm. So that way, if I'm running within the world of, of let's say, B2, I'm just going to run the Caves of Chaos. I'll have them run into somebody in the keep. So they're at the keep of the Borderlands. And this person will say, my wife was an adventurer and she's not come back. So if you find any evidence of her out there, please let me know. I'm in this, keep waiting for her to come back. And so what that provides me is they can just explore the Caves of Chaos all they want. But then at point X, where we have about 30 minutes left, I then put in the, the key to finding the wife. And mm-hmm. they go down that rabbit trail. And then we have kind of a bookend for that session. Even though we haven't explored the entirety of the caves of chaos, at least this session has
1: ended on a goal completed. Okay. Now, I guess uh, one question I have is: keep on the borderlands. That's that's it's a pretty big adventure. Like I, I would absolutely never expect anyone to get through it all in one go how do you set up this as like a campaign like because i know you do a lot of stuff for kids and do like the jump and jump out at libraries and stuff like that are you running these as campaigns or are they just one shots kind of within the setting of the module
0: uh typically i'm running them as one shots um now i have in the back of my head this idea for an ongoing campaign that is jump in jump out um that I've been formulating, which is the idea is the world is controlled by uh, five evil dragons. They have risen to power. And mm-hmm. the conceit would be every single player character you meet, every single person at the table, is w- exists within this organization to take down these five dragons. Okay. So the world would continue to exist whether you show up that week or not. But... There's never a question of, oh, are we supposed to trust this guy? Are they evil? Are they good? What would my character uh, do? Because they're all in the same organization.
1: That is uh I did a whole like hour and a half rant about that on Critical Wits <laughs> about being that guy and Oh boy.
0: One of my one of my um Uh, preambles at convention games is i say i'm only gonna decide one thing about your characters and that's that you're all buddies everybody here is friends with everybody here your group is a group of adventures that are friends
1: do you so uh, even with that do you find that you like do you still get like the trolley like uh cool guy mcshadow ranger who's like oh my daughter had passed. I can't trust anyone. I never know when my father, the Duke, is going to send his spies against me.
0: Yes. <laughs> okay. I still get <laughs> I that. But then I say, okay, this guy's your buddy. So I have friends who are awkward. And um, they might say that they have friends who are awkward talking about me. That's fine. Um, but, you know, they're still my friends. I still want to see them benefit and... and Succeed, and so if I were an adventurer and they were adventurers, I would still try to help them not get murdered by goblins.
1: I had another follow up, but I'm just <laughs> the Duke. Uh... <laughs> I can't even do. The I
0: would. I would. So I would take that and run and introduce the Duke and just do my terrible John Wayne impression. just ruin whatever concept this person had in their mind
1: (laughs) well all right there partner you're coming back (laughs) with me you're gonna be the crown prince whether you like it or not (laughs) are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now great why not head over to patreon.com slash WGP and support that show for as little as dollar a month. Dollar a month goes a long way to helping support the network of Wild Games Productions. Again, that's patreon.com slash WGP. Thank you. Uh one thing that I want to do with my game is uh I downloaded uh some I think they're made by Mad Irishman. There's some char- like, you know, character sheets BX character sheets. Um, that have, you know, instead of having the attack matrix, it's got attack bonus, uh, just because I love classic D&D, and I wish that I could just teach people that, like, all you have to do is subtract to use Thaco. Like, it's, it's super easy, or just roll a die, match it to this number on this matrix that is provided for you, but people, for some reason, can't wrap their minds around that and only want to use base attack bonus, uh, but it has a note section on this sheet, and uh, so the thing I've been toying with is filling in details about the character. So when people jump in, they're actually, you know, it's going to be their interpretation of, like, you know, the cleric who is a hard-fighting, hard-drinking, like, man of God or you know, Conan the Barbarian fighter because like I had to do it to him. Um, is that something you do with yours, or do you just give them just stats on a page?
0: the The best pre gen situation I've ever ran is where I provided some sort of uh, outlying detail on mm-hmm. each character that kind of could grab you, and but was still a little bit malleable. So for like a a, a a fantasy rpg i might have something jump out on this sheet like if i have a dwarf character um one of the equipment items might be an unfinished collection of dwarf drinking songs huh that builds in kind of this micro idea of what this character is about and what they want without just saying you're a hard-drinking, gruff dwarf, and you love gold, and these are your these are your personality traits, um, it, it just kind of lets that idea form in the player's head on their own.
1: Okay. See, because I'm kind of going with, like, providing those details about the characters. You know, this person's a uh, tough-drinking dwarf character, or, you know, this person's, like, uh, kind of a Solomon Kane kind of cleric who is very... You know, you hunt monsters, and very, very, uh, very, very uh, invested in their faith, kind of thing. But I don't know. I, I, I kind of, I, I like either way. But I wonder, have you found that people have been really receptive to those tiny details? Like, oh, my, you know, my, oh, this person's equipment says that they have an unfinished collection of dwarf drinking songs. Is that something that they've successfully? I-
0: I mean, it depends a little bit on the player, and some players are more uh, receptive to ideas like that than others. But that being said, it's it is this it allows the player to form the idea as opposed to imposing the idea on the player. So, um, in the circumstance uh, where I had it really mapped out, like this person's grubby and dirty and and kind of a trashy person, you know. If I had that on a character sheet, somebody might go, "Oh, well, I really don't want to play a character like that." Now I do hand out three pick ones, so they'd be able to pick others, but they might—they might just immediately see that and go, "Oh no!" But if it just said that they had dirty clothes, then they may start the whole adventure looking, I gotta get a laundered. I'm having a problem here. I gotta get some... I mean, they might just create a little side quest for them and, and you never know where that will veer off to. I think the people that wouldn't necessarily hop on board with the the kind of the slight suggestion are also the people that wouldn't really hop on board with the full description.
1: With, um, so kind of... I'll, I'll, I have a couple other questions, but I'm gonna real quick just how do you handle equipment when you're making your pre-gens? Because the way that I was thinking about doing it uh, with the sheets I have currently was I was just picking weapon, armor, maybe a backpack, maybe some torches, and then leaving the rest of that gold as gold and letting them buy things in-game. I, I feel like as I'm saying that now and as we've been talking, like that's maybe not the way to do it. It would probably be better to like give them full adventuring gear, especially if they're drop-in, drop-out.
0: There is a fantastic character generator on Wizard Don. Okay, um, like Don John? We'll, no, what <laughs> What
1: did you say? Oh, you, you've never gone to the website Don John? John John? Don John. D-O-N, it's French for dungeon. Oh, 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 oh Sorry, I mispronounced it. Donjon
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that one. And magazine. You know AND Magazine. Everybody knows AND Magazine. You don't know AND Magazine. You may know. I don't know. I know AND, you I know and Magazine.
1: You know AND Magazine. We've been to several parties together.
0: Oh, that's fair. So uh, Wizard Dawn is a part of uh, AND Magazine. So it's wizarddawn.and-mag.com. Mm-hmm. And if you click on Dungeons & Dragons 1981 on their drop-down, and then you click on Adventurer's Guild. They have a character generator, and I click character sheets, because I like having the actual character sheets. You pick a level range, so for thieves and clerics, I would do levels three to levels three, and then it would only send me back level three clerics, and then I generate four clerics. You can choose whether they give you spell lists, equipments, whether they're uh, possible to have magic items on the equipment it can name the characters for you or not um, it can choose alignment for you or not it can choose languages for you or not so I generate four clerics and I usually find one that works pretty good it's a random character generator so sometimes you'll get stuff like two 18s and two threes on the same character which is a little bit extreme for a pre-gen I feel like I, mean, I know it's mathematically possible to get those stats but it is just a little bit jarring Went handed a pre-gen to see like a bunch of threes it almost seems like it generates threes uh and eighteens a little too often like i don't know what uh what metric it's using to generate stats but it it provides equipment and i mean it has some of that stuff on it where people might have like this character i just generated has a yellow silk handkerchief and a hacksaw and an hourglass this is a cleric a small bag of rocks you know, and it's like, well, what are you going to do with that? But people will start thinking about what they might do. Now, that's one way to do it. That's how I did uh, for North Texas, just because I needed 40 of them. I didn't want to make a bunch of uh, individual ones. I think, mm-hmm. ultimately, I would like to have my own... Um, I, would, I would have a little bit more control over what gets generated and how it gets presented. Um, okay. But I do think uh, there's two ways you can do equipment. One is... Fully listed out and that's what they have. And maybe like have like eighteen gold or something, you know, just a, a few pieces of gold coins on the sheet as well. Or just kind of be like you're an equipped person if uh, if you have a basic adventure item you think your character would have, your character has it. Rope, grappling hook, caltrops, spikes, you betcha, you have all that. If there's a more uh, kind of rare item you think your character might have. If you go, well, I want Holy Water. I want to have Holy Water, but but I'm a halfling or whatever, but I think I should still have Holy Water. Um, you know, just roll a D6. If it's uh, four or five or six, they have it. If it's one, two or three, they don't or whatever metric you decide to measure that on, depending on the character and their reasoning, I think that's fine, too. Uh, You know, DM uh, Crafty, when he runs games, he has people actually roll stats and choose a class, and then everything else he completely wings, down to what your spells are and what they can do. Some of that um, is a little bit too... What's the word I'm looking for? Loosey-goosey for me, I guess. Um, But... uh, I mean it certainly
1: works in
0: the moment for sure.
1: Yeah. Well I've been uh I've been like generating stuff by hand. Um I I don't think I was gonna do as many so how many pre gens do you do for like a a, a an GS game? Do you do like two of each class or do you do like one of each? You know, how how does that work for
0: Let me open my old pre gen document that I had before I started using Wizard Dawn and see how many are in that. I think it's three of each.
1: Okay, not too bad. 21 characters.
0: Yeah, this looks like I had three of everything, except for some reason I only have two elves, which maybe I was just thinking well, elves are more rare, so there should be less chance of having an elf in the group. I don't know.
1: I don't know if I want to use the Donjon thing. like Donjon? Donjon? Or uh, Wizard Don, rather. Uh, Just because, like you might run it I I've used I don't think it was that specific one but now that you've mentioned it like that sounds familiar with another online tool I've used and uh, I don't I don't know it, it makes me some weird characters like uh like donjon uh, they have a dungeon generator that is it's super good like I use it a lot to make uh dungeons for just like floor plans mm-hmm. and they'll get things filled in for the floor plans. Um, and sometimes you get some weird fantasy stuff, which is fine. I, I love Gonzo and weird fantasy, but sometimes it's just like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm going to, like, just overwrite this. And I feel like uh, Wizard Dawn is kind of doing the same thing.
0: Well, so when I use Wizard Dawn, I generate, like, ten characters at a time and find one I like and then save that as a PDF.
1: Okay. I don't Like, part of me... I don't know. I feel like part of me wants to just make the... uh just make them by hand. Yeah. It's only three per. That's definitely cooler. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't know exactly when I'm going to be doing this game. Um, You know, so I have time. I have all the time in the world. <laughs> How do you handle hirelings? Do you let them hire hirelings? Or do you find that there's usually enough people in the game that you don't? Like you said, you had ten in one. I'm guessing that you didn't have hirelings in that specific game but like when you're running stuff at like the library or the game store or even in crafty's game like h- how do you guys handle that
0: i have never seen crafty um reference hirelings in in, in my games um i i i really don't codify hirelings at all like you're absolutely able to recruit people and get them on your side. But it's mostly done through just role play and um, conversations with people in the town. Um, it, yeah, it would, it would really depend on how many people showed up that night. Uh, on whether okay. or not they would want to seek out hirelings or not. Um, I guess the, the issue that could I could see arising is if somebody has three hirelings in game A. And it's mm-hmm. and it's there's three player characters and one of the player characters has three hirelings and that's game A and then it's over and you say mm-hmm. like bring your characters back for game B uh, next week and they come to game B and now you have ten people at the table ready to play and this one character still has three hirelings yeah it, it becomes a little bit of a murky issue because you don't want to tell that player well your three hirelings you don't need them there's all these other people. Um, uh, but you may just kind of define it as your character would save money in the situation and not take not pay these extra people to go with
1: them it seems best to just cut out hirelings or limit them you know to maybe one per person or just have them be non-combat characters but in my last game hirelings were like a big feature and um like if we We use it to pad out our our numbers. You know, like in Mm -hmm. game A, when you have three people and three hirelings, you can kind of go on and feel a little bit safer about taking things on. Um, And that was what happened in my last game was, you know, we had three players and each player had two or three hirelings. Uh, And then eventually it got up to five players. And so we had a party of like 18 or not eighteen. We had a party of like 13 people, which was fine. Like it Mm -hmm. wasn't hard to do, but that was, you know, an every week same people game so yeah I don't know I feel like I would be robbing the players of something by limiting it but I think logistically you just have to
0: all hirelings have a natural fear of crowds
1: <laughs> so if there's too many people they, they clam up and then they can't do they can't go in the dungeon anymore
0: yeah that's, that's what I'm going to go with
1: yeah have you uh have you run an ongoing hop in hop out game
0: i I, have not every single time i've done something like this it's been one shots okay i love the idea of an ongoing shared world game where actions in game a have drastic effects on actions in game b even if it's an entirely different group of people at the table
1: well yeah i mean like that's my understanding of how it was ran before it was even D&D, they had so many people and they were, you know, not everyone was playing the game at the same time. So you would have within the campaign, you would have, you know, blah, blah, blah in one game. And then you would have, you know, other people in another, and they were kind of affecting each other, but indirectly, Uh, which is kind of why, you know, when, When you look at, like, original D&D, where Gary's like, yeah, this you you can play up to, like, you need, like, four to twenty-five people. Right. And you're just like, twenty-five people? What the heck? But it's more than likely because they were running the campaign like a shared world. That's been my thought process on it for the longest time now. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, Maybe... Mike Carr or whoever else was in Gary's early games can write into us at questions at save or die dot info and let us know.
0: Okay. So like, I want to uh, kind of a, do a kind of a recap on yeah. what I think makes a successful open table. Um, and I really do think the number one thing you can do to really create the environment of an open table is have a posted sign that's easy to read i think mine says it says dungeons and dragons join anytime that's all it says and i put a graphic on there and it's just on the edge of my table but it it removes that awkwardness of asking if they can play a game because there's a little bit of discomfort in that because there are certain games of Dungeons and dragons that it's just for these people at this table, and that's all it's for, and it's it's set in motion, and they can't adjust at this point. And that's not the kind of game I run, but that's the kind of game a lot of people run. Um,
1: I want to interject with that real quick, because especially if you're running it at a local game store, um, like, the the Big Beast is 5th edition. That's what people are playing. You know, like, you, you can't get around it. Have you... Um, normally, anytime I've, like, played bx i've had to be like all right this is the 1981 game it's a little different here's how have you had to have that kind of preamble when you're like introducing people like or or has it you know it being bx D&D has have, you feel like that's driven people away who are like, oh, you guys playing D&D? Yeah, we're playing BX D&D. Like, what's that? Oh, you you ever seen Stranger Things? It's the version of D&D they play. Oh, uh, I don't want to play that. I only play 5th edition because I love Critical Role and uh, the Adventure Zone. So thanks for your time, Dungeon Master. I'll see you later. I
0: think a little bit depends on your enthusiasm when you approach the situation. So, like, when I tell people, I say, we're playing old-school D&D. This is old-school D&D. Get in, jump in. It's going to be really easy to learn. Let's play some games, and let's just be real silly and have fun. I don't say, well, this is a little bit different than what you're used to. You might need to learn a few things or some different rules. I don't say it that way. I just say it's a super simple old-school version of the game. And I think that... Framing affects the way people react to it. I mean, it may feel like, oh, these people are saying, oh, this is not fifth edition. It's not for me. But they may be thinking, oh, this isn't what I'm used to. I'm going to be some sort of burden. I'm going to be uh, slowing everybody else down. They're not going to want me to play. You know, there's all these levels of of awkwardness that kind of float around uh, the conversation that you can just subvert by just saying, no, come play. It's super cool
1: i think that's a good point uh I, I didn't think of it that way i think like you're right like i, th- I think that's a good way to put it <laughs> let's get back on track Having a sign that says you know come play we're open to new people that's tip number one um let's can i guess continue on from there uh take I, my car.
0: I i would suggest absolutely having pregens at your table i think It's the best way to approach it. I would not name the pre-gens or select their alignment if you're using alignment um, uh, or select their gender. I wouldn't fill in any of that stuff. I would just have the statistics and then um, hand out three, let them choose one, and then they can fill in the kind of personality of the character. They can name it and they can choose all that uh, information they want for their however they want to represent their character that way there's a little bit of control that they have over their character that um, yeah, it makes it
1: feel like their character
0: right as opposed to their playing um this already preordained personality that they don't have any way to adjust i think even just naming a character is is most of that
1: um all right tip number three
0: absolutely focus on the fact that it's a game and just play the game don't get lost in the mire of this narrative of why this person now can join the party um just just keep moving it forward even if you do stuff like oh you want to come in okay i'm gonna get you in the game just as soon as possible okay in the next room you find a prisoner in a cell and uh uh, you can open up the cell and let him out and then just say now you're a group you're in the party that's the prisoner don't let them get lost in this myra but can we trust him we don't know him my character wouldn't do this or that or x or y or z because you're just having a fun time playing a game and you only have so many hours to do it and um questioning each other and stabbing each other in the back uh You know, while maybe somebody's ideal game isn't mine. So just move forward and play the game.
1: Okay. Uh, Tip number four. I'm trying to think if I have a tip number four. (laughs) Can I ask a a quick question? I know we're in the summary section, but this kind of just came to mind. And I think this might be the most important question. Okay. How do you set this up with your game store?
0: That's a very different uh, answer. Uh, uh from game store to game store to game store
1: okay
0: because some game stores do have uh pay for play you like you if you want to come and use the space to play your game you have to pay towards something maybe it's buying snacks maybe it's buying a certain amount of product or maybe it's just a straight fee that you pay to game at that store um and some stores just have free playing areas with the kind of general reciprocity idea you'll put money into the game store because we're providing the play space yeah now regardless of how it's set up i would certainly call them first and say, i'm planning on doing this i would like to run a, a game of old school DD or whatever version of whatever game you're wanting to run um at your store What methods do you have to communicate that to your player base? Now, they may have a cork board that you can plug a sign up into and just say when you're planning on doing this. Or they may have a Facebook group that they moderate that you can post information up in there. Um, Doing both isn't a bad idea. I I rented a DM Crafty because I found one of his little, um, it was just printed out on paper, business cards that he was looking for people to play old school D&D. And I emailed him and said, hey, I'll play in your game. I want to I play games. Um, uh, I usually use Facebook to advertise when I'm going to be running old school games. Yeah, I mean, I think I think each store is going to have its own methodology of handling that. And I think you just need to communicate with the store what that is. But once you do have a date in mind, I would speak with them because there are a lot of games the stores facilitate. And if it's during a night of a Magic release or a Warhammer release, you may want to find a different night to do it on. There's no reason to be competing with the space when when what you're doing is not isn't connected to some sort of larger entity you know it's not it's not a pre-release friday for uh bx D. magic's the big one but there there are other games too that have uh, big release events and that might be uh, a. even though it's not a huge deal with the gaming public at large it might be that store's thing for whatever reason there's a fan there that has cultivated
1: that community what were some other tips we talked about so we can recap? Uh we're we're real good at podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Um God, what do we even talk about? Jeez Louise. Oh,
0: here's the thing that I wanna mention when you're running a jump in, jump out game in a public space like a store, is mm-hmm. you will end up with a problem player at some point. It's gonna happen. Um my advice when dealing with a problem player in a store environment or any environment whether it's your home or a store or wherever this problem player has uh, come into your uh, game is deal with them outside of the game okay never use the game mechanics to punish the player as opposed to their character Hmm. so If the player's being obnoxious in some way, shape, or form, and you want them to cut it out, don't just go, okay, Red Dragon shows up and kills you. Done. Now your character's dead. Because it's just really weird and awkward, and it doesn't really address the issue, and it also lets everybody else at the table know that I, I if I don't like you, I'll just I'll just murder you with imagination. It <laughs> sits <I'll>
1: a kill <laughs> you.
0: Yeah, uh, I'll I'll I am willing to make this game not fun to prove my point. That's what it says.
1: Okay, yeah, I I mean I guess like you're always going to run into problem players. I kind of we talked about that a little bit with what was his name Shadow Mc. Oh, I didn't remember it. Uh, Mysterious McShadow Ranger, maybe. Um, yeah
0: that's not john so wayne's son
1: player, but like you know people think that character type is cool and like they're real lame that's my that's my opinion um but like having a person who's purposely trying to get the party killed or doing dumb things in game because they think it's funny like then i yeah i think like it's perfectly acceptable to be like uh just just stop and be like hey man um what you're doing right now is real disruptive and like I, you know, can you please get on board or, you know, maybe this isn't the game for you.
0: Yeah. uh, I think um, the way I approach it is just say, um, so like, here's a, here's a kind of a, a normal example. I don't know why people do this, but say you're in the middle of a combat situation and they go, I can cast magic missile on anybody. All right. I cast it on Joe. (laughs) <laughs> I'm casting my spill on you, Joe. What do you think of that? Yeah. At that point, just go, okay, hold on. There's lots of games like that. This isn't the way we play here. It's not the kind of game I want to run. So
1: um, we won't be doing that. All right. So I guess like that now wraps it up. That's I, You answered a lot of my questions. But I want to hear from the listeners at home. If you guys have any experiences running drop-in drop-out games or open tables at your local game stores or conventions or you know maybe even a play-by-email game or something like that um write us in at questions at saverdie.info uh, you can always also come join our discord we've been super active in that recently actually especially in the classic DD chat i got invited to a play-by-email game of D&D using uh chainmail as the combat system based on uh, episode 146, so I'm super excited about that. I'm, I've been working on it all week. I'm super stoked, but uh, drop by. Come come hang out with us.
0: Yeah, we've been talking about fools today. Come talk about fools.
1: Uh, I think that'll <laughs> do it for this episode. Uh, goodbye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> we really need to develop an actual sign-off. Is something, brother. The Save or Die Podcast Immortal Edition is a production of Wild Games Productions, brother. It is produced for entertainment purposes only, Jack. All other uses are prohibited, dude. So be sure to visit them at saverdie.info for more information, brother. What you gonna do when the Save or Die Podcast runs wild on you? Ooh.